The Suffering Podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Feel free to comment. We may read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. We are proud to introduce the Dented Development Project. In conjunction with the Suffering Podcast, the Dented Development Project is a nonprofit 501c3 with a mission. That's to help first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Visit us at DentedDevelopmentProject.com and get involved today. Helping us means that we can take care of those who take care of us. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down and strap in. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the for Suffering, suffering Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each episode, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. So sit down and strap in. This is going to hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. My opinion is that there's only one way to achieve sustainable success, and that's through pain and suffering. Those willing to put in maximum effort and work through the seasons of their life are going to come out on top because hard work always beats talent. We have all fallen into despair. Nobody is above that primal human emotion. There are rare individuals in this world that are willing to bear their souls and give us their roadmap to how they climbed out of the darkness. But that path is never easy. When the suffering is at its darkest, it's a mean, dirty, and unforgiving place that's going to humble you. The hardest battle you're ever going to fight is the war against your own demons. I'm Kevin Donaldson. I'm here with Mike Felace. And on this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down with one of those rare individuals who chooses to take and use his suffering to inspire hope. Kevin Kern shows us that there is light in the tunnel, and he's going to tell us the way to climb out through maximum effort. Kevin, thank you so much for traveling all the way. I know you travel quite some distance. I really appreciate it. Kevin and Mike, thanks. I appreciate being here. You know, I, I can't say enough about your show and what you guys are doing and as you know, I started that Fit First Responder program over a year ago. Well, to, that's how we got in contact. Yes, yeah. to give back to the fit resp- the first responders because, y- you know, they're on the front line. They're mm-hmm. on the front line, whether it's law enforcement, military, fire department, fire. I mean, I've been in awe when 9-11 happened and the people that said we saw law enforcement after law enforcement and fire firemen going into a burn it's it's against it's it's a, it's counterintuitive to it's, what your instincts tell you yeah like and they just kept going and that's doing your job and not being a coward you know i've been pushing somebody close to me in this and one of my favorite quotes ever i forget who said it courage is not the absence of fear courage is happening to do what you have to do in the face of fear everybody feels fear right everybody feels fear that's an older, I think it's a, uh, a Sung Su. Yes. I think it's a Sung Su quote. It, it's uh, true courge is being afraid, but going forth anyway. Exactly. It's something, I'm, I'm, something, I'm getting like, the words something like wrong. That. Well, and then at the end of the day, when you look at depression, anxiety, and all those things in your life, one of my favorite quotes sticks out always, look, it gives me goosebumps still, is Teddy Roosevelt. I care not what people think of me. I do care what I think of myself. And that's a true mark of character. Correct. Okay. Yeah. You got to look at yourself in the mirror. And if you look at Teddy's life, he was a sickly kid, had asthma. His father was well off and he dodged the draft. He built himself up. He, he was w- the bull moose. Yeah. 
And he he went hiking. He he worked on ranches. He started the Bronco buses. He started the Rough uh, Riders, Rough Riders the and the Rough whole Riders, bit. Yeah. And volunteered. And then he the way he became president is the other guy died. He was hiking Yosemite. The Secret Service had to find him. <laughs> but I love his. And he always had a smile on his face with those little glasses, right? He had a barrel chest, the whole bit. Yeah. So I, I love what you said when you said talent. Talent really is overrated. Absolutely. Because some people, when they fall back on their talent. So when I coach football, I watch kids with incredible athletic talent. And what happens when when talent is met with an obstacle? You, there's three things that are going to happen. It's either you're going to cheat, you're going to quit, or you're going to overcome. And I've seen all three or a combination of the three. I was watching an interview with Teddy Atlas, who used to train Mike Tyson. And Teddy Atlas said, if you had to tell me what Mike Tyson's true record was, it's probably 0-5. Because Mike Tyson was so overwhelmingly good that the minute that he met a challenge, he folded like a cheap lawn chair. I, I don't want Mike Tyson coming in here and, and <laughs> kicking the shit out of me. I really don't. However, uh, that's Mike's, Mike wants him to. Mike wants him to. Well, that's well, why. Listen, I, I'd love to see Kevin get the shit beat out of him. <laughs> I pay for it. I definitely pay for it. I just throw, I'm going to just throw Mike at him. But before we get into the real meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about today, I want to get into this week's social media question. It comes from Alexa. It says, My dear friend is in deep depression and I want to help them but I just don't know what I can do. Kevin, you're our guest today. I want to hand this one off to you because I know you've traveled down the rabbit hole of depression. Yes, I, I've, I've traveled down the rabbit hole of depression. As you know, my new book that's out, the audio's out. <laughs> the, Which is fantastic, by uh, the thank way. You, thank you. Fant- I listened to the whole thing. He gave, me a, he gave me a sneak peek. It is fantastic. I appreciate that. And now the journalist was about three weeks late who's transcribing. He's like, I, my laptop crashed. I'm like, dude, this is supposed to be. And, you know, it's supposed to be out like three weeks ago. And I'm going nuts. But I'm like, you know, a lot of times what happens is you can have a deadline and for some reason, the universe says, no, I mean, that book started in 2011. Then it came out to 2013 because my first ghostwriter ripped me off. So it's kind of <laughs> interesting. If I told you how many people helped me with that book, Nick Pete, my editor. We're looking at the book, Always yeah, Pick Always Last, Pick which, last was Kevin's, which is first Kevin's book. first book. And how I overcame bullying. Now, as far as your friend, um, what's her name again? Alec- Alexa Brights is on social Alexa, media. Alexa Bright on social media. Okay, depression. When you look at depression, the big problem with depression, and I was guilty of it, and depression can lead to a lot of things. Like if you look closely on my left side of my neck, there's a four to six inch scar because I try to slip my throat on December 22, 2019. Next day, I patched myself up. Next day, I went to the the Tobin Bridge. Wait, wait, you patched yourself up? Well, excuse me. I went to the hospital. Okay, okay. okay, And lied through my teeth about what I had done. The next day, I went to the Tobin Bridge and looked for a place to jump off. The park and a state trooper saw me, pulled me over, asked me about my neck. He goes, "Go see a therapist." And then my therapist came in to me. So I, I woke up in McLean Hospital Christmas Eve, two thousand nineteen. That's where I spent my week, wow. and got ECT therapy the whole bit. Did people, anybody come to you and try to try to give you a hand? You know what happens is one thing I learned through the ECT people, electroconvulsive therapy, because I tried everything, therapy, drugs, the whole nine yards, and going through a divorce, even when it's amicable, it's hard. Mine was messy, and you know how messy it was. It was yeah. pretty goddamn, and it still goes on. So, you know, she still pokes at me the whole night. It is what it is, and it cost me a fortune. It cost me over $100,000 for a 50 50. Wow. Okay. And there was a lot of other crap that went on too that I won't, I won't discuss, but it does, you know, it is what it is, and it's done. You don't realize I, I, I'd gone through a lot of divorces with clients, and I always heard two to three years, two to three years to get yourself back in your feet. I never realized I, just, Driving in my own neighborhood after 19 years living there, how it would screw me up, totally fuck me up. I didn't realize how going from 3,300 square feet to 1,100 square feet was going to affect me. How 50-50 with the kids, how my first weekend alone with the kids and I'm by myself, I'm like, what, what do I do? What do I do? What, what yeah. do I, you have to live to be alone. And then all the other stuff, trying to date. You know, and dating is just, you know, thank God I've got Batgirl in my life and the whole nine yards and it took Batgirl. me a yeah. Batgirl. <laughs> Josh, I'm Batman. She's Batgirl. Hence the tattoo, you know. Why do I love Batman? Because he's got no superpower except his tenacity. And that's what and it's he's all he's really angry. Really he's angry. He's really just an angry and, man. And I, I usually see him at the meetings. <laughs> you know, I usually see him at the meetings. Not often, but he's there sometimes. You know, he's always hanging out in the back or on the roof or something. I didn't realize how guilty I was of the stigma until I went to the ECT people. One of them said to me one day, oh, yeah, we fight the stigma every day. I go, what? Oh, yeah, you know, that we're mental health professionals, blah, 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 blah. And then I thought about it. I go, son of a bitch. I go, I was guilty. Because if I said I had cancer... 
People would show up at my house with food. I broke my leg. You say mental illness, people go the, the other way. A friend of mine taught me this. He said, Kevin, he goes, if you have a kidney problem, you go to a kidney doctor. If you have a lung problem, you go to a lung doctor. How are you going to fix the most complicated organ in your body yourself? And it hit me off. So if we can look at addiction as an illness, which it is an illness, but at the end of the day, it is a choice to stop. PTSD, anxiety, and depression on a choice. Not in the beginning. Uh, I know this all, Mike and I know this all, all too, too well. well. See, as police officer, that stigma you're, you you mentioned, it carries with us. That's why most cops don't get help. I mean, you should probably see this when you go in police departments. Absolutely. They, they will not get help because then you put on the rubber gun squad. Exactly. I mean, you might as well just take my balls away. You're showing exactly. weakness at that point. Exactly. Even cops, you know, have to be the macho. Hundred percent, Mike. Hundred percent. I I think you and I were discussing this one day that either you or somebody we knew knew a Texas police officer, pretty big guy. His wife was physically abusive. Yes. He would not hit her back, yes. and then he locked himself in his room. She had a knife, and he called the local police and said, "You need to come get her. I'm not going to hit her." You see that big stigma. I'm one of those guys. We're one of those guys. We would never hit a woman. Never, never. What's a proof? Proves never. nothing to me. No, proves nothing to me. And anybody that will hit a woman is to me a coward. Mm-hmm. Absolute exactly coward. Right. Absolute P- coward. Picking on a weak. Yeah. I've been in martial arts for 42 years. I've sparred with women plenty of times in time walks in the whole nine yards. And if somebody's a buck 10 and I'm 180, I'm not going to go hard on them. And I go, and when you look at sparring, it's, it's, a, it's a transition. So to get over depression for this person, get them help. Don't take no for an answer. So my answer to that is very similar to yours. It's be a pest. Yeah. Be a pest because they need it. Yeah. Don't have a laissez-faire no. type attitude where your your hands are off and you don't know what to do. Be a pest. No. Be on them. Show up at their house every day. Call them every, every Bug hour. Bug the fuck out of them. Damn right. Be up their ass because the, cause you have to be. They're going through some serious shit. They think they're alone. That's the worst thing. You think you're alone. I mean, the way I did it, I was alone. I was broke. My kids actually moved out for a while. That's what led me down the rabbit hole. Because now my business is going downhill. This, that, and the other thing. She made it messy. She made it difficult to extreme, and you know that. Kevin and I speak quite frequently, and <laughs> and I I know I know these things, these backstories. And if if you send me an email or send a post on on social media, I'll I'll, I'll elaborate. I'll elaborate a little <laughs> bit more. You know, and um, we don't have enough time in a day no, to elaborate. No. <laughs> and you know, you look at things like that, and and I always tell people, never think you know somebody just because you're married to him for X amount. I didn't think all the shit was going to happen that happened. And if you did and still married her anyway, I'd say you're a fool. But I don't think you're a fool. Well, and you know what happens too is like when guys when I got out there and and started dating, like oh go after thirty year olds. I'm like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> what they don't even know what flock of seagulls is or ACDC. <laughs> I wish I didn't know what flock of I, I wish I did too. The hair, but you know, Chandler, <laughs> yeah. Chandler from my friends. I, I, I just got that vision in my head, man. I'm, I'm like ruined. The flock of seagulls. I vision. man, man. All I did was this the whole time. But you know, when you look at that, you have to be a pest. You know, if this person had cancer, you'd be on the phone with them all. Oh, mental. Oh, oh. And you know what? Yeah, they're depressed. How can you help them? Hey, get them into exercise. Get them some serious help. I found out about ECT through McLean Hospital, one of the best hospitals. And you know what? My dad's ring is on here because he died when I was 12 from alcoholism. Kind of how I wrote the book in my first book. I was, I was a kid that sucked at every sport and then became one of the top, in the top five strength coaches for UFC fighters. Go figure, right? right. So talent's overrated. It's, it's relentlessness. It's, ten, it's tenacity. It's, it's my tattoo, perseverance, vision, passion, perseverance. You just can't quit. And when you're in those throes of anxiety and Everybody, every, you've been overwhelmed. Mike's been overwhelmed. We all get overwhelmed. Sure we do. And eventually what happens? You crack. But here's the thing. You can crack, but you can't. You don't have to break. That's it's, the difference. It's, a, it's how you pick yourself up. But, yes. But Alexa, with this one here, you need to just be a pest, lift them up, go get them help. Now, Mike, what's your method? When you when you have somebody coming in around you in deep depression, what what would be your preferred method on on how to reach them? Well, like I said, I mean, I mean we talk about mental illness illness all the time. How it's how it's the hidden wound, you know. <laughs> Great, no, I love that. Nobody the knows. hidden wound. Yeah. That's and, phenomenal. You know, like I said, you break your arm, you you got a cast on it. You know, you're going through some mental health issues. Nobody sees that. You don't see what's going on behind closed doors. You could put up the bravest front in the world, but you're hurting inside. Yeah. My whole thing is is when I went through it, I. As a cop trying to be the macho cop, I'm like, I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need to talk to me. I can fix this myself. 
Same here. Started going to the gym, working out like crazy because that was my aggression release. And then I realized it was time to go talk to someone. Saved my life. Saved my life. So, so we'll, Mike and I have the same doctor, a guy named Dr. Eugene Stefanelli, who I credit with saving my own life when I was in my deep, dark place and put the gun in my mouth and was ready to ready to check out. Without Dr. Eugene Stefanelli, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. However, prior to this, I said, what do I want to go to therapist for? What do I need to cry? Come on. I'm not, I'm a guy. I don't cry. I don't do that stuff. I've learned so much more that I don't think I go a day without crying. Every time I see Mike, I ball crying because I just don't want to look at the guy. You too, huh? Oh, yeah. He's uh, tough to look uh, at, man. He's just, just jealous of my good looks. <laughs> That's why he cries. I think it's your tan. That's why he cries. Think it's your tan. No, it's high, high blood pressure. And it's the fact that you shave your arms. And <laughs> shave your whole body. Uh, that was a bad visual. I don't want to know about that. Hey, you brought a flock of seagulls. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I brought a flock of seagulls. Well, I ran. <laughs> Alexa, thank you so much for sending in your question. Keep sending in those questions. We'll try to get them on the air. Now, Kevin Kearns is this rare individual, and he's just an infectious individual. I've had co- ball of energy. First time no, I, I ever make coffee nervous. I don't drink any. I, first time I ever met. Ke- yeah, we gave you caffeine too. That's a bad. That's a bad choice. Yeah, that's why I only took a sip. <laughs> first time I meet Kevin, we're on the phone for a half an hour talking about everything. Like I've talked to this guy. Like I've known you for years and years and years. As you can tell, Kevin is definitely not from Alabama. He is from <laughs> he is from the Boston area. Boston. Ba- Boston. Boston. We we are we are collectors of accents and i love <laughs> i love the the north jersey accent i love the boston accent what, what accent oh, Park what the con, Park the yacht, con. Huh? Oh, oh by the way did you know the uh the yankees won 13 in a row now oh with just, boston just want to put that out no um, you're mike, not, you don't have any friends with me with the yankees mike, and you mike, know that uh, mike did you realize i really don't give a shit about boston sports <laughs> <laughs> i don't Thank God, because you're in the way if I have to run out of here. You're you're a martial artist, you're a coach, you're an author, you're a public speaker. There's many different hats that you wear, but I want you to tell our audience about yourself. Wow. Yeah. Pretty humbling. As my first book, Always Pick Last, I was the kid that sucked at every sport. Literally, I, I was the kid that lost to tie his shoes in the neighborhood, lost to put, take his train wheels off the bike, and you know what it's like to live in a small neighborhood. Everybody knows everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Forget about football disaster, basketball disaster. I'm like, I even knew where the hoop was. The only thing I could play was softball, thank God, because the ball was big enough. And it was always like, well, we'll take Kevin, but it's like having nobody. And one of my friends, quote unquote, best friends uh, across the street was a middle kid, middle child, and thought it was cool to pick on me all the time. So it was kind of funny. He was my best friend, but not my best friend. So I got picked on constantly, constantly, constantly. And in the book, I talk about being 10 or 11. You know, we lived in three families. We were, you know, lower middle class, whatever you want to call it. We had a huge family. My mother was one of eight. My father was one of four. And I had 31 first cousins, no joke. Irish Catholic. Uh, they, yeah, pretty it's, much. It's, pretty they, much. They, Irish pretty Catholics much. don't, they go to church and they have that other hobby. That yeah, they that's hobby. it. Yeah, well, my, my mother said that, you know, Auntie Chris had like 11 kids and she said that's because Auntie Chris had two cycles. I said, no, that's because Uncle Al wouldn't get off her. Anyway, um, <laughs> we kept, we got hand-me-downs because my mother was, you know, from the Depression era. One day, was, I think it was 10 or 11, we get, Cousin Georgie was a couple years older than me. She sends down these pink velour, he sends down these pink velour pants. Oh, for a kid to get picked, a kid who gets picked on already to wear pink velour pants. My mother forces me to wear them, and it's March, and it just rained out, and we always had a puddle in front of my house. That was it. They ganged up on me. They threw me in the puddle over and over. I can still taste the leaves and dirt, and it went on for a half an hour until the ex-best friend, brother came over, pulled me out. I I think it was him. I don't even remember, and said he's had enough. I went in the house, locked myself in the room the whole day. Lo and behold, two years later, you know, my father was a great guy. From him and my mother, I get my charisma, my person, personability. My father was, uh, he was the uh, building inspector for Everett, so everybody knew him. And then my mother would talk to anybody. My mother, would talk, she's just like me. And she, she, God rest her soul, she has a memory like, a, like an elephant like me. My dad got sick when he was 41, believe it or not. Vaguely remember that. And then he got sick again at 48 and I was 12. This is alcohol related? He died of, my mother won't admit it, God rest his soul, because he died of liver failure. How do you die of liver failure at 48? You know, he wasn't supposed to be drinking, wasn't supposed to be smoking cigars, wasn't supposed to be eating fatty food, and he did it all. He was in the hospital about two weeks before he died. He looked okay, and then we went in around Valentine's Day, and they were pulling shit They had a tube down his stomach, and I'm like, and I had no clue what was going on. I'm talking about girls and Valentine's Day, and the whole, you know, you're 12 years old. I got a paper route. 
and the first one was too small. So I told them I want a bigger one. That, that's kind of started me on this path of business. And my father was very proud of me. Nothing feels so good as when your father was proud of you <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. It's funny. It, we'll get into that in a second. It's, I, I can still remember the day. It's February vacation, 1979. I got up normally day, Monday, did my paper route, came back, and I see my father's best friend, the plumbing inspector's car there. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. I walk in. He meets me at the door. He goes, come sit down. He sits me on my toy box. My mother's in the kitchen. I can barely see her. I said, I, and he was the biggest jokester in the world. He used to chase me around the office. <laughs> and he said, uh, I, I got to tell you this. I don't know how to tell you. Your father died last night. I started laughing because he was the biggest joker. Right. And I look at my mother and I look at him and I fucking lost it. And my whole world chatted. Can you imagine going to your father's funeral at 12 two or three times a day to the wake for people to view the body in an open casket. You know, no offense to Catholics out there, but give me a break. Why is the frig is the casket open? Does a 12-year-old need to see that? That bothers me when people bring kids to wakes too. And, and, and then three years later, my cousin Georgie with the pink pants, he, he had a- <laughs> Georgie pink pants. Yeah, Georgie pink pants. He moved to Florida, the whole nine yards, got involved with some drugs. He took a bullet to the brain. Two hours after Christmas. And then to see that funeral and see where they filled in the bullet. Are you kidding me? Right. I mean. Just close it. Yeah. So, and what happened is it was the darkest year of my life. The darkest. And my mother, as a uh, secretary for the truant officer, so she worked part-time. She'd get up, go to work. I would get up in that summer, 79. I would get up eat breakfast, hang out, watch TV, then walk to her work two miles away. She'd give me money, go down, get a slice of pizza and French fries, the puppet just come back. And that was my routine for like months. I, I didn't know what to do. Whenever whenever you reach those crossroads in your life, you, you, your first instinct is to fall back into routine. Routine. R- routine makes sense. R- routine makes sense. And, I, and the bullying kept getting worse. Every time I went out, I, I got another beating. Eventually, she pushed me away from her. She had to. She had to push me on the nest. And my close uncle, Uncle Henry, God rest his soul, and Aunt Dee, they were like second parents. He's like, look, he goes, I learned how to fight in the Navy. I want you to take karate. He goes, I know you don't have a lot of money. We'll pay for part of it. They paid for part of it. I got my orange belt. This kid, Joe, we were walking to Sunday school. I just got my first orange belt. He went to kick me in the ass, grabbed his foot, and swept him. I'm like, okay. And then I realized. I I like this karate Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I realize if you practice, you get better. Now, did my uncle expect me to stay for four years and get my black belt? No. But your uncle just saved you from yes. a, a real – like your uncle is is a – I never met him, but he sounds like a great guy oh, great. because uh, – Uncle Henry is great. He took a kid who was broken and lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And started giving him purpose, giving purpose yeah. and direction. Yeah. I, I, I was totally lost. Totally lost. My father used to just punch him in the – and I didn't have it in me. One thing, unfortunately, I learned at the funeral at the wake was – Anger was easier than sadness. So I became very angry. Very angry. <laughs> sure you didn't grow up with me? Because yeah. my neighborhood anger is a lot easier than sadness. I grew up very angry in the whole bit and then um, martial arts and then weightlifting and the whole nine yards. And then, of course, he left me alone. And then when we went to high school, there were other kids in other neighborhoods. So the next kid was this kid, Dennis, that he, this kid, Joe, would send at me. And Dennis was 6'4 at 14 and 240. I'm a buck 40 back then. And I didn't know how to deal with it. And, you know, you're hanging out drinking the whole nine yards and he would bust my balls and then my friend Jimmy Killay would step in the whole bit. I used to train every day to fight this kid, Dennis. I wanted to fucking kill him. No joke. I wanted to kill him. This guy, Louis Nuzzo, at the local gym was this big pump monkey and, you know, good guy, but he was an athlete and he was a kickboxer. He never called me Kevin, just called me kid. And he took me underneath his wing when I was 15, 16. He goes, kid, this guy giving you a hard time? I said, yeah, Louis. He goes, you got a uh, punch in bag? I go, yeah. He goes, you hit it every day? Every day. You got a brick wall in the basement? I go, yeah. He goes, I want you to front kick and side kick that brick wall like this, this kid. I literally wore out the, wore out the paint and the cement in my basement, kicking that wall. That's probably why my, I've got a 27-inch thigh for crying out loud <laughs> because I just I would, I would. I wore out the paint. In the book, I got friendly. Like We had very limited black people in our town, but Lionel Bean was the quintessential 
black guy, one of the few black guys, and he was the basketball captain, and he took me into, underneath his wing. Got me drunk a lot, too, um, which my mother didn't know about. But anyway, Lionel became, and we're still best friends to this day, came, became my best friend the whole nine yards. I built myself up from 130 to 155. I was bench pressing 320 at 150. No joke. Yeah, it's, yeah I, it's, I was a, I was a, I'm a strong a little deal. shit for a, for a short guy. Won multiple tournaments, the whole nine yards, and I get my black belt. And we're, I'm 17. I got my black belt two months before this, right? And they weren't just doing stuff to me. They, you know, busting my, like he stopped busting my boss, but they would do stuff to my mother's car, the house. They just, they were relentless. Yeah. That's, see, that's, that, that was always, thankfully in my neighborhood, that was always off limits. You, I had a, I had a young man in, or not a young, he's my age. You're not young. I was able to bring in the kid that I bullied as, because I always felt bad for it. Kid left school. Oh, absolutely. I felt horrendous for it. And I looked for this kid for 30 years. I was able to bring him in here. Now, what these kids don't realize is that they bullied you. You could have been the greatest guy who could have been their greatest friend, but they're never going to find that out. Moving forward in your life, have you ever run into any of these kids? It's funny. Matt. One of the kids reached, read my book, reached out to me on, uh, said something to me on, on Facebook. So you know what I did? Because they get you know, messenger. I called them. Hey. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? What's up, Bobby? How you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I read the book. Yeah. Uh-huh. And? I guess, you know, I, uh, you know, I guess I had something to do with that. Some of that stuff. I go, yeah, you did. Well, you know, you know, long time ago, kids were kids, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh-huh. That's how you want to write it off? Go ahead. Go See, ahead. I fell over myself apologizing to the kid that I bullied because what I was doing is nobody who is okay with themselves ever bullies. Nobody. Well, it's a, it's a weak person at bullies because they're trying to show that they're more powerful. Than exactly. You. And I had a lot of shit going on at home, and I found this easy target to make myself feel a little bit better. Since that time, me and this, this guy, we've become very, very close. His name is Jesus Aponte or Jay, Jay Aponte. I love the guy. I love the guy. But it would have been easier. So your phone call, I, I called him up one day. I, I, I reached out to him through Facebook Messenger. I call him up one day, and I really wanted this kid to go, you fucking asshole, you piece of shit. You did this to me when I was a kid. But you know you know what he did to me? He goes, nah, I forgive you. I was like, motherfucker, man. <laughs> like, that was the worst thing in the world for well, anybody it, to it, do. Make it, me it, feel bad first. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's interesting that you said that because it's taken me three years, and I'm a big quote guy, as you know, to understand this and something I had to work on myself. And we'll get back to the 17th thing. It's a Mark Twain quote. Forgiveness is the fragrance that is shed by the violet on the heel that has crushed it. I've heard you say that before, so I have a little prep on that one. I thought long and hard about that, and it is a dynamite. Mark Twain was a, was a just an incredible man, but that's a dynamite and, quote. And the first thing you have to, the first person you have to forgive is yourself, especially when it comes to depression and suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts. I, for a long time, said suicide is a cop out. Don't take that the wrong way. Oh, yeah. yeah. People, people would say that it's an easy way out. I, easy way. I always thought that. It's, it's an easy self, way out. Self, we talk about it all the time. It's a, what, a permanent solution yeah. to a temporary problem. Yeah. But prior to my my issues, I would think it's a coward's way out. Yeah. Exactly. Way. And at the same token, that, that may be true to a certain degree, and it's a cry for help. That's one of the reasons why I named the book There's Light in the Tunnel. You know what this is like. When you're going through that, you don't want to hear the cliche, there's light at the end of the tunnel. No, I want it to be over now. Mm-hmm. Now. It's like being in turbulence, right? And the pilot says, well, you get about five minutes. No, 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 no. I don't want five more minutes of this shit. My <laughs> kidneys just fell out at the last stop, the last bump, okay? And you see this? These were my nuts, and now they're up here, okay? So it's like, they're no. you are floating now. Yeah. They're up in my mouth for crying out loud. My girlfriend's ripping my arm off. She thinks we're going to die. I mean, come on. I'm like, get it done. Find some freaking clean air, would ya? <laughs> you know, when you're going, you don't want to hear that. It's just like being depressed or anxious. And you don't want to hear that. What you want you want to know that there's light in the tunnel. This is from you know Les Brown and Billy Osbrook. You were born in the darkness, or as the admiral, I forget his name, the admiral that did the speech for the Navy SEALs. You know they go underneath the keel. So even at the dead of night when you're swimming, the ambient light still sees through, right? But then they got to go under the keel to plant the bomb. There's no light there. Looking for the light is extremely important. Trying to find the light. There's a great quote. I forget who said it. I think it's anonymous. No, excuse me. It was Zig Ziglar. The sun is always shining behind the clouds. And the way to prove that the most, go fly. You can, you can, be, you can go up through clouds, and when you get up there to 30,000 feet, there's the sun. You know, I said this to somebody the other day. The consistency is this. The sun's going to rise. The sun's going to set. Mm-hmm. And this is just for now. So whatever you're going through, 
It is just for now. I look at this and, you know, Batgirl says to me, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that you went through this. I go, you know what? It made me stronger. It made me realize who I am. Without all this stuff that you went through as a child, you would never be Coach Kevin Kearns. No, you would never have your not. series. No, you I- would never have Burn with Kearns had you not been bullied by this. But I'll bet you while you were being bullied, it was pretty dark in there. And it was tough to see anything positive out of it. It sucked. It was awful. Some of the worst experiences of my life and some of the most triumphant, just like going through this. And the reason my depression, uh, you know, that's funny, as I think Mike said this and you said this too, the anti-bullying expert ended up being bullied by his own wife. (laughs) You can't be an expert in anything unless you've gone through that path. Well, the, the interesting thing is I didn't realize I was getting bullied at home. She started drinking the whole nine yards. No, no, this no. is my this is my oh, ex-wife. Your ex-wife, okay. You know, which led me down this hole. You know, led me down that hole. Do I hold her responsible for fun, for some of it? Just like I hate to say that. No, no. Actually, I don't hate to say this. Just like her sobriety, she owes a lot to me because I was the one backing everybody up. You know, you look at that and you sit there and say, "Oh, you know, anti-bullying expert," and and it's weird how. People can change, as you know. People can change. Yes, they you know. Can. You can know them for X amount of years and blah, 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 and they can change. I think it's good for people to change. And I think when you're involved in a marriage or a committed relationship, you need to grow together. You need to grow your own path, but you also need to grow together. And the biggest problem I've seen in anything with committed relationships, whether they're romantic or not, business relationships, is, is breaking on communication. And these goddamn phones don't help. I text you. I get a phone number. You know, people like, I'm like, yeah, just call me. Well, I, I, I sent you an Instagram message that go, why? Because it was convenient for you? Yeah, exactly. I, I always say to people, I go, I go, call me. I don't want to bother you. I go, why do I have a phone? Right. Okay. Do you remember how this used to work? All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. Well, the phones, it's a dual-edged sword. So if I got if I want to call you just to send you an address, that's where the text message is. Exactly. And then, listen, if I have something more than a sentence to say... I'm going to call, call you. you. Yeah, because it's this. You you can't hear the inflection. That's why fo- you can't hear the inflection. You you don't know what's going on there. Oh, you, if I'm pissed at somebody, I call them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you, even you, if you could you could take a text twenty different oh, absolutely. ways. Absolutely. You don't know the meaning behind it. You don't know the the attitude behind it or anything like no. that. And it's it's real. It's, a, it's or a, an e- or an email for that matter. Yeah, it's a it's a cop out. Yeah, it's a cop no, out. It's, it's not, it's not well, it, wanting to face your. It's the it's the the millennial way of instead of saying I'm sorry, my bad. That's not a sorry. I want to hear it. And in my world, what I do with anybody, you know, anybody, and uh, BG knows this for a fact, you know, if I've done it, I'm going to own it and then I'm going to fix it. Not over the phone, face to face. I'm going to look the person dead in the eye. I fucked up. I'm sorry. How can I fix it? How well, that, that's that's a big mantra of mine. I'm a big Jocko Willing fan. Absolutely. All right, his book, Extreme Ownership, which I think should be required Absolutely. for every leader in the world. You know, the fish stinks from the head down. And he's a big guy. If, if something goes wrong under your command, it's on you. Yep. You have to figure out a way to fix it underneath you so that doesn't occur anymore. But you have to own it, even with sobriety. So what's the first lesson they teach you in sobriety? Own it. Admitting you have a problem. Because you it. can't fix a problem until you admit that you have and, one. And the, and the challenge with that is one thing I've seen firsthand is what's called a dry drunk. I mean, you know yeah, what we, that we, is, right? We, we talked do. about that before. We have had... Hypocrite. We, right? If you're going to do this, you better walk it. And I'm the first one because as a just who I am, I cannot... <laughs> I grew up with Justice League. I got a Batman tattoo on me, so I don't like injustice. I was always the underdog. So when I might see shit going sideways, I'm in somebody's face. I'm like, back off, knock it off, leave the person alone, especially when it comes to the female gender, because I got two daughters. I mean, both my daughters have been training since they were two. Yeah, I don't know. That's that I think is your greatest suffering story. Two daughters. <laughs> two daughters. You think so? Yeah, I have two boys. Me. I have two boys. And I remember. Don't tell my, Shannon this. She'll come over and kick your ass. Probably. <laughs> but when I remember when my, we, found, we thought the first one was going to be a girl and I just felt my heart sink because as guys, we think about what goes on in our head when we see a woman. It's no secret what goes on in a guy's head when they see a pretty woman. And I thought to myself, how am I going to react to that? And what about the first person that comes and, and dates her? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to, you know, what am I? And that's, that was always my fear. 
been, was there, my been there, done that. But that was very self-serving for me to do that because I'm thinking about a, a daughter's emotions as if they were a reflection of mine. Correct. Right. You got two daughters, which, bro, I can't tell. I don't know how you do that. that I don't know how you do that. Both, but the they're, worry. They're both, it is, and they're both tough as nails. Yeah. Shannon moved back in with me recently. They were estranged from me for a while because of this whole episode, and my ex used it as an advantage to get them out, to get them to move out permanently. And I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be blunt to fuck me up. It was a hole in my heart for 16 months, not seeing them at all. And I tough deal. Yeah. And I, and I had to just back off and I never knew why they left. Never. You know, she, she influenced them because I got sick the whole nine yards and they left. You know, my youngest was angry at me for, for months. And I, I couldn't figure it out. And every time I would go into ECT therapy, they would say, how you doing? I'm 95, 90%. Why aren't you a hundred percent? I go, cause I don't see my kids. And it would be, and you, you've seen some of the parts in the, in my book and where I think one of the chapters is this shit hurts. And I'm talking about my kids and I was watching a movie and something came on about somebody, some guy with his father and I fucking lost it. Mm. I lost it because I was constantly involved in my kids' lives. You know, in the pot when she drank for five years from age of six months old to two and a half, it was mostly me. You know, she was out sleeping on the couch at eight o'clock every night. You know, it was mostly me. I wasn't an absentee father. Like uh, Sebastian Malskowski said, I'm, I eventually met my father at 18 because he was working so much, you know, yeah. that wasn't me. I was, I was with my kids constantly, constantly, you know, if my ex was a nurse and if, you know, when I came home, my mother-in-law watched the kids, I take the kids out. And funny, when, when my youngest moved back in, who's 17 now, she says, dad, and uh, I don't care if I throw any, throw, you know, my ex underneath the bus because she should be. All my happy memories are with you and all my ha- sad ones are with mom. Well, it's amazing that children children are the manifestations of our heart walking around in living color. Yeah, so. that's that's the truth of it. And without the if you if you are lucky enough in this world, because some people aren't lucky enough to have children. Absolutely. And I feel I feel for them because children are the ultimate joy. They're the ultimate worry. And I I tell new parents all the time. You thought you knew what worry was when you were a kid. Now you know what oh worry is. Oh, my God. Is. I remember, I don't know if you guys remember the, the old Blue Cross Blue Shield commercial. The guy's walking out with his wife. He's smiling. And then the commercial is, it's no longer about you, you, you. And his face was like, and it is. Yeah. And I tell people there's a great song, and I, and I dedicated this to the BG Batgirl for, before, and, and I think anybody that's a parent. It's from Rennie Carroll, Superhuman. He and his sister wrote it for their mother. So it's a great song. It's about, it gives me goosebumps. Look at that. Being superhuman. And when you're a parent, you will be superhuman. You will do shit to yourself <laughs> for your kids that, you know. It's un- it's unbelievable the things you can do for your kids. Yeah. Because there's no plan B. What happens if you don't do it? No, there is. There, exactly. That's a great quote because I was listening to something today. There is no plan B. There's no plan B. When I've traveled a lot, I told my daughters, I said, do not worry about me coming back to you. Because if I have to swim across the Atlantic, I'll do it. <laughs> my girls, my, my girls always said, even dad, when dad doesn't have a plan, dad has a plan. Always has a plan. Like, you know, we, we went to go to Boston one day years ago, right? And the traffic was sideways. I go, like, oh, we're going to Providence. And we, you know, we got all these crazy pictures of stuff running around Boston. Like, dad, you always have a, another plan. I'm like, yeah, man, that's just that's how you got to roll. Well, you got to you got to be able to pivot. Yeah, you, which which isn't the same as pivot. You mean friends? Pivot, <laughs> pivot. <laughs> Improvise, adapt, and overcome. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I love the, I'm a big. Hey, fan. like what what you know, like the the yogi saying, and we've heard the quote from Goggins, right? Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Well, that's that's kind of where my life has been most of most of my adult my life has adult been life has yeah. been uncomfortable. So you take this this uncomfortableness as a child. And you go through the ranks. And I know you had a very successful career prior to recently is 2019, which I was COVID, but I'm assuming this is going to be your greatest suffering story. Yeah. You know, going through the depression and the suicidal attempts, (laughs) it's brutal. And then after that, you start dating. How do you have that conversation with somebody? Yeah, yeah, I tried oh, to kill myself. Oh, by the way, I tried to kill yeah. myself. Like, it's a second date conversation. Right. No, I usually do it. You know, I did it with Batgirl, and I'm just like, fuck it. I'm not going to wait until they fall for me or I fall for them. And oh, by the way, yeah. oh, they say, what's, I'm like, screw it. I'm, I, I lay it on the table. Well, you know, depression isn't something to be embarrassed of. No. But it, that's the know, stigma. That's it the is stigma. stigma. Of it. Yeah. And, and neither is anxiety and neither is suicidal ideations. You need help. I mean, when I came out, and I think you and I discussed this, normal ECT therapy is 12 treatments and you'll start feeling better. After three, I turned the corner. They never saw a case like this in their life. 
So my coach, Steve Whittier, said to me, you know, you've been off social media. I want you to talk about something difficult. So I talked about my depression. I didn't even talk about my suicidal attempt. I talked about it for five minutes, put it up on Facebook. I got 2,000 views in one day. My phone rang off the hook. I myself can say this, and I'm not trying to be egotistical. I've saved 11 people in the past year by coming out. People I knew and people I didn't know. Mike, how many people did you save by coming out? Oh, you came out in a different way. Yeah, he came out in a different way. Rainbow flag and everything. Kevin, it was great meeting you. Um, (laughs) We're going to wrap this up now. That's because you're a Yankees fan? (laughs) Listen, I'm I'm hearing about coming out, and that's my first time. Is that why there's tissues down here? (laughs) Anyway. Mike, tell me what it's like coming out. Look at the stains on the back of Kevin's shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I saw those on the way in. We had a guy in here, Dan Trelero, and he talked about how similar the two words, humble and humiliate, are. But they're so similar, and and that's the two things that depression and suicidal tendencies will do to you. They'll humiliate you. Oh my God, people think I'm I'm a weak man because of all this stuff that's happened. And but it also humbles you. You know, it, it, it's it's so true, right? Batgirl seen me break down multiple times, and it's hard to be vulnerable as a man. It is hard. It's because of how we're taught. Yeah, and when you look at it, and this is what I've said to her and I've said to other people that I've consulted with, vulnerability is strength. It is strength. It's okay to be vulnerable because what you're allowing yourself to do is trust. Trust the person in front of you. Trust that they have your best interest at heart. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But you know what? If you can trust that real person, that real human being, not someone that's a fake human, not something that's a subhuman, not something that's a narcissist or a piece of shit coward or you know self-absorbed. Then you know what? That's when you that's when you really understand when you can be with somebody and they can be completely vulnerable and let it go because that's what it, you know. It's it's like you know somebody said this to me: if you're gonna carry your shit, can you put it down once in a while? <laughs> you know, or somebody else said this to me. This was a great quote: if you put everybody in a room and you took your bag of shit. And you look at everybody else's bag of shit. You're going to pick up yours and leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, I don't need to take on any more. Unfortunately, it, what we do now, and even as police officers, we deal with a lot of compassion fatigue. We take on these these stories, like the, your story, your story included in this. We take on these stories, and it does weigh on your back. Oh. It does weigh on your back because we have people coming down here who these are some real badass motherfuckers too, and they just they'll open up and they'll be vulnerable. We we've had. The tissues are there. The tissues are there because people cry. We've we've had we've had to stop uh, recording at times because yeah. people just broke down crying. Yeah, you know, and well, we're taking that on our our own shoulders. I love yeah, that know. vulnerability yeah. is is a strength. I love it. It is well. Well, you know what? It, it, I'm a movie freak, right? And I always have been. And I love Brad Pitt. I think he's a great actor. I'm not he's a good looking guy, but he's a great actor. And when he did Fury, he was a tank commander, right? He had been with the same tank crew, same tank crew. His machine gun got killed. So now they get this, this, this pencil pusher guy that they, they brought in. Now he's going to be the gunner. The guy doesn't know shit, right? They go into the first battle, the whole nine yards. Then they go, they, they're in Germany, and he's got the scars on him, and he's rough and tumble, right? Rough and tumble. Plays, that, plays it to the hilt. They pull into the camp in Germany, and they're going on the next assault, and they're out, man. And Brad Pitt is a sergeant. The commander says, you guys do this, this, and this. I'm going to go get the orders. He goes get the order. He gets a cigarette. He looks behind him, goes behind the tent, takes a knee, and balls his fucking eyes out. Because they just cleaned up the tank, the brain pieces of his friend that he knew for two years. Hmm. Loses it for 30 seconds and he's like, okay. And he's like, okay. He goes, and that, that, to me, that one scene said it all. You know, said it all. I'm a warrior. And you know what? It's okay if I lose it from time to time. You know, if the, it's the people who don't lose it from time to time that I worry about. They're, they're the ones that snap. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, like I've said to people that are my close friends and, and BG Batgirl, I said, you know, whether I'm got your six right behind you, holding your hand or taking the first hit, I'm going to stand in the line because that's how it is. Like Rob Bailey, put me on the front line. Watch me. <laughs> you want to do that? And she's like, you know. You know, you're well-trained, but have you ever been in fights? I go, no. I said, I've gotten one fight. I picked on the other kid that was bullied when I was 13, got a black eye, taught me. Everything else I've walked away from, or I've talked them out of it by staring them down. Well, I don't that, want to fight. That is a strength. Yeah. Ver- verbal judo. Yes. Verbal judo. Well, and it's, and it's you know, this this tattoo right here, Sawatana, uh, is code of discipline. Yeah, unwavering discipline, unwavering consistency. That's what it's that's what it's about. That's when you look at go back to martial arts, I tell people all the time, martial arts saved my life. 
it gave me my quote, vision on my right tattoo, vision, passion, perseverance. Biggest one is anything in your life, anything in your life, perseverance. You've got to have tenacity and you've got to have perseverance. You can't quit. You just can't. You know, especially if you're self-employed, you just you just can't quit. Or you, but, there's no choice. No, there's no choice. No, I hunt for my food every day. Thirty-four years, thirty-four years. I don't have a choice. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't show up and somebody books my appointments. I don't. I don't walk into a gym in the whole nine yards and the, the whole. But it's not how it works. And so, you know okay, what? Oh, Kevin's here. You yeah. Got to go out and, and get your own. Yeah. And and at the same token, I love every second of it. Every second of it. Well, thirty-four years. It's the dog that no longer has to hunt that becomes lazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look at my dog. My my dog. I let my dog out the door, and she wouldn't know what to do. She sees a deer, she, if, and she'll bark at it. But if the deer, as soon as the deer comes at her, she'll, she'll run behind me. Exactly. But those dogs that are hungry, you know, I, it was Arnold during Pumping Iron had one of the greatest quotes, and they're talking about Arnold because he's on top of the mountain. You know, he's not as hungry being on top of the mountain as the person climbing the mountain. And he goes, "Yeah, but the person on the top of the mountain knows that the food is always there." <laughs> Yeah, that's one of my favorite. Same, ones one of my favorite ones is uh, is is Ali. How many sit ups do you do? I, I I don't count them. Only I only start counting when it hurts. <laughs> You're a big quote guy because I, yes. I follow you more than you know, and you uh, come sorry, up with I'm a like lot. I'm of, worried about this. He's a stalker. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought I'm, so. I'm stalking. So you there's a Jersey law for that, right? Stage <laughs> five Klingon. <laughs> you said something. You, you've had this this difficult life. If you're starving, you'll eat garbage. It's one of my favorite quotes that you say. I don't know whether you came up with it. I did. Or- that was uh, that was Rolf Gates, my yoga mental life coach. That is a fantastic quote because there has been times when I've been low. We, Mike and I were just talking about this after I was living in my car. And we're talking about how great it was. Just to, I slept on the floor, but I had a roof over my head. How stupid is that? I'm sleeping on a floor, on a, whole, on a cold, hard floor. But just because I have a roof over my head. Well, it, you know what that is? It's, it's a Zig Ziglar concept, I think, and, and maybe Napoleon Hill, attitude of gratitude. So one of the things when I look back at all the difficulties I've had, which plenty of people have difficulties, is the thing I try to remember. One, the first thing I try to remember, somebody always has it worse. And number two, when I went into Al-Anon eight, nine, ten years ago, I had this old salty woman, Beth, who taught me this. Having a really rough time with my ex, the whole nine yards. And she pulled me aside. She goes, here's what I want you to do, honey. And I still do this to this day. She's in her 70s. She's an Alan on the other side of alcoholism, people that were affected because, yep. as you know, alcoholism is a family disease. She says, I want you to start a gratuity journal. Write down five things a day that you're thankful for. Invariably, you're going to have more. I fill the page. You know, I'll start with I'm like Wayne Dyer. I just listened to Wayne Dyer on the way down. Thank you. Hoffy said, Hoffy said, if you start any, if you can't pray, if you start any day, just start with thank you. I'm alive. I'm breathing. We don't know how this is going to We can be dead tomorrow. I give thanks for whatever. I give thanks for whatever I have, past, present, and future, where I'm going, who's in my life, the whole bit. And then you look at it, and there's like 35 things. And you go, okay. And it's an attitude of gratitude. You look at it, and you go, okay. You know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I go, yeah, this is rough. This is hard. And what are you getting? What's the, what's the dichotomy in this, right? What's the north and south? The south is the bottom. What's the upside? What's the east and the west? As we talked about the this, this, and this happened. Okay. And what did you gain out of it? You know, yeah, you're afraid of this. You're afraid of that. But what did you gain? Well, I think you learn more from your failures. Absolutely. So, Without a doubt. You've, and your fears. You've had, you've had lots of <sighs> different successes in your life. And failures. Well, tell, me, tell me if you could just encapsulate some of them. Give me one of your failures. Huh. Let's, let's do an example. Um, just one. I started a gym. Um, when I started my company, it took off. And literally, my company went from 25 grand to 100 grand in three years. Got married the whole bit and opened the gym with a client. We took a gym in Brookline, affluent area that had 5,000 square feet, 300 members. Within two years, we had 900 members. Was doing making money the whole nine yards. I was a shitty manager. I can admit that because they didn't run it my way the whole bit. Getting ready to sell it the whole nine yards and 911 hits and three gyms pulled out. They were going to buy us out. Then I sat on it for another five years. Happiest is like buying a boat. Happiest day of my life is when I bought the gym. Happiest day is when I sold it. And I, right. and I lost money. My next question to you is out of that quote unquote, it wasn't no. a failure. I mean, but at the well, end it was y- tough. What did you learn from well, going through Well, what, what I learned is it's not the right business for me. And if you take a – I'm a big Wayne Dyer guy too, God rest his soul. And he said, 
when you look at failure, it's really not failure. You just produce results you didn't expect. Right. And I always love- That's Tom- a Thomas Edison thing, yeah. Yeah, what I always love, Thomas Edison, I found 999,000 ways how to not make a light bulb. I quote that I all the time. That, yeah. See, I said, but, see, but, I'm, but, not, I'm not just making this shit up, Mike. I do read. No, he's making this shit up. But when you think about that, let, let's, let's talk about that concept real quick. Would you go after 100? 999,000. I can't even count to 1,000. How the hell am I going to get to 999? I mean, come on, seriously. I mean, who would go there? And you listen to anybody. Like, one of my favorite people in the whole world is Richard Branson. And the guy, because the English hated him because he was so outspoken, so crazy. First million at 18, lost it at 21. (laughs) And he just keeps going. And if you look at, you know, if you listen to Les Brown, Billy Osbrook, Jocko, any of those guys, you can't be afraid to fail. It's part of life. Right. No, nobody's just, gone through life without any failures. Well, that, nobody. But but now with these these kids in the, this next generation, the participation trophies, the, yeah. we don't keep. I'm like, what? And you know, this is where I take a page from Les Brown. There are winners, there are losers, and there are people have, who have not been taught how to win. And sometimes you're going to find them yourself. Sometimes you're going to get the right people behind you. It's like David Goggins. You don't have the right team. If my wife doesn't support me, my fiance, I don't have the right team. If they don't believe what you believe, I've said, you know, with the old adage, they're either going to be on the Kevin Donaldson team, on the Kevin Donaldson train, or they're part of the tracks. That's pretty good. Well, you know, that's that's, that's me. I'm like, you're either on the Berman Kearns train or you're part of the tracks or get off. Get out of my way. You have something special. And that's why I said Max. That's why I tell people. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> you, it seems to me that whatever you, Honey Badger. <laughs> whatever you do in your life, you give this maximum effort. Max effort. Now, is that, effort. is that a side effect of from what you went through when you were younger? Yes. And I think it was, I think it's more on the lines of martial arts because you've got to give maximum effort. I wasn't the best student at school. I'm a 2.895. So when I tell kids, I'm like, look, I'm a low B. But my professor pulled me aside. I was 21. Fell into exercise physiology, loved it, couldn't get enough of it. I was ace in test, but I couldn't write with the shit. The guy who wrote 300 articles is on his second book. Coming out with a third book, couldn't write for shit. Believe that. And my, That's and, your third book, I couldn't write for right, shit. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> and you know, and, and, and girl's girl always saying to me, she's like, you're so well with words and blah, 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 blah. blah. She goes, what did you get in, in you know, high school English C minus? I'm like, you're a four O from Northeastern. I'm a C. You know, she's like, it, it's practice. So when you look at that and you say, Okay, you, you, you dive in and you dive in. And what happened is my professor pulled me aside and I had a mid-level A, my exercise physiology class at 21. Now you know what you want to do. This is the Lord, has whatever you want to call it. The universe says, this is what you're going to do. I love this shit. So I couldn't write for piss. And we had to do these these uh, these lab reports. Like you can get a ten out of it. I kept getting six and sevens. And I go, Dave, what's going on here? Dr. Dave, because you don't write well. You gotta learn. I can't teach you. You got to learn how to on your own. So I'm still doing well. I start cranking those out. And then I, we get a research paper. Now, these kids today, they think writing research papers is high with a freaking computer and yeah. Google. No, no. You got to no. go through library. And yeah, find library. Books. And then you got to put the dimes the, in the and card photocopy. And, and then you got to get the book. highlighter and the whole nine yeah. yards, right? Bibliographies. Yeah. And, oh, God. So I get a mid-level A. I do this, this research paper. I get a 50 on it. Crushed me. I went to him. I go, what the hell? He goes, you did minimum work. I'm driving home on 93, crying my eyes out, going... And he said to me, maybe this field is a few. I go, my, I got my stethoscope hanging, hanging from my rearview mirror because we had to take, we had to check each other when we did, when we did lab reports. And I'm looking at God, well, universe, whatever, going, what the fuck? I thought this is what I'm supposed to do. And he, you know, I think you got it. You're calling. I'm working out the whole nine yards. I'm like, ah. And then something, and it happens to me all the time. Something snaps. I go, fuck him. I went back to him the next day, walked in his office. I go, you are now my advisor for the next three years. I'm going to be in your fucking face every fucking day, Dave. And I walked out. When I graduated at 24, I'm sitting in his office having a beer. And he said to me, "No, no I'll still always remember this. We were still friends up until I think he died, unfortunately. But he said to me, he goes, Kevin, I want you to know this. It's not always the people that get 4.0s that do well in lives. It's the ones that have to struggle to get a B that do well because they know they got to struggle. Because hard work always outdoes talent. Yep. And that's that's the truth of well, the truth. And, and let's, hard, hard work beats talent and, when and, talent doesn't work hard. And, and talk about talk talk about I love that. Talk about the suffering, right? Here's a great quote from my friend Lee Jordan, my mentor. Now I agree with suffering and I disagree to a certain point because here's what he said to me. And he's very Catholic and but he doesn't push it, but he's very, very wise guy. He used to be four hundred pounds, he's two hundred. He goes, Kevin, he said this to me last year after I was coming through the throes of my shit. He said to me, Kevin, I've realized at sixty 
Pain is temporary. Suffering is a choice. I cut my hand. Ah! And you know what? The pain goes, you can choose to suffer about it. This is or you the can su- just suck it up and move on. Exactly. Or just make peace with it, right? Go, okay, this sucks. I hate it. Okay, what can I get out of it? How can I move forward? You know, it's, it's like that quote, right? It ain't all sunshine. It's how life is going to blindside you like a son of a bitch. And you're going to be able to dust it off, get back up, and move forward, especially if you have kids. You have, I mean, you have no choice if you have kids, even when they're older. Because what are you going to be the example of? My daughter moved back in, and you know we didn't touch on anything that she sent me. She hated me, and she's and, and whatever. And I and I apologize for you know for behaving that way. And she said you did the best thing for me, Dad, because I had to figure it out on my own. And unfortunately, you know the old quote, right? A baby bird in captivity will never fly. Mother kicks it out. Of, you got to kick it out of the nest. Yeah. The concept of suffering, it, it, I agree that that to some extent is a choice. We are thrust upon certain events in our life that challenge us. And it's our choice whether we can Absolutely. wither and die from that challenge or we can use that challenge to rise up to the next level. But my whole philosophy is, is without that challenge, we can never get to the next level. I agree with that. And let's put suffering and struggle in the same thing, right? It's the same thing. Sure. So suffering is just more of a visceral word. Exactly. It's more of a visceral word because it's a fact. And you can choose to sit in the suffering and have your own pity party, or you can choose to go forward. I love Matthew McConaughey. He says, life wasn't the first quote, right? In the 13 truths, life was not supposed to be easy. So forget about it. And don't think you're entitled to anything. You're not. You're entitled to nothing. That, that's the problem with this generation. Oh, my I God. Don't even get me started on entitlement. <laughs> entitlement. And you know what? The other one is lack. And this is a, this is a Les Brown and Billy Oswick. Lack of personal responsibility. Yep. I always said that entitlement is the antithesis of my concept of suffering. Absolutely. Where entitlement is I'm, I deserve this. Where through suffering you earn. Exactly. Good one. I like that one. Or one of my favorite acronyms is ego. What does ego stand for? Edging God out. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking your own piece of God. You, the God within you. I mean, when you look at enthusiasm, then this tattoo is enthusiasm. I keep telling my wife I'm a God. She doesn't listen to me. What the hell? Now thought, you just thought, proved it. I thought it was Mike that was telling you always you're a God. <laughs> He's a God in his own mind. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Listen, like, I, I get a stroke his ego once in a while. Uh, is that all you stroke? That's anyway, all- um, <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone. Is that why the tissues are down here? Uh, and, and when you look at like people like, oh, you're so enthusiastic. I go, enthusiastic. I go, what is the root word enthusiasm? In Theos, the God within. One of the best experiences I've ever had hanging out with people like Lionel Bing, Craig Rose, all my black friends, they took me dancing because I was a black belt for protection. And one thing I learned from the from them, from that culture, is they don't give a shit. They dance like nobody's watching. Nobody's watching. That's, that's one of the things that you should do at least once in your life is to dance like nobody's watching. I well, I'm, I rip up the dance floor and Batgirl looks at me. She's like, did you do this for a living? Like, were you like well, you there's know, a, there's Magic a, Kevin or some shit? I'm like, no. <laughs> there's a height limit to dancing, just so you both know. If you're over six foot, unless you're blessed with something odd, you really can't dance. Well, you know I'm six eight and eight hundred pounds, right? Well, right, okay. but like I said, unless you're blessed with something odd, I I'm not. Oh, I'm odd. I'm not. That's a fact. Like Mike, when he's on the dance floor, his hands are above his head, which so I look it. like I'm six eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got. I'm sure you you always have so many different coals on the fire, but I know you also have some sort of a goal in life, and you're always trying to attain it. You want to give us a little insight huh. onto what that goal is? <sighs> Leave a legacy. You know, I want people to go, I want people to look at me and David Altshul, an old client of mine, was a great guy. He taught me a lot. He was a mensch. In the Jewish religion, that means a good guy. I want people to look back and say, you know what? Kevin did it to the nth degree. He pushed the limit. He always was open-minded, always open-hearted, wore his heart in his sleeve, gave maximum effort at everything he goddamn put his mind to, had blinders on, wouldn't quit, suffered through this, suffered through that, but he kept going and kept moving forward. I'm hoping... Always pick last gets made into a movie because it is the true karate story. My One of my goals is that if this light in the tunnel goes to New York best times, great. My main goal when I first did that first book, if I can help a couple kids, a couple people realize they're not worthless. And if I can help a couple people, if I can help one person with, one this, person. One That's person all you need. with this, this light in the tunnel and they don't commit suicide and realize they're not alone, people love them and they're not worthless, then my job's done. If I'm on Oprah and I make $10 million, that's icing on the cake. Because then I don't, as, as Forrest Gump said, I don't need to worry about money. One last thing is, mom, what's that? 
Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, when he got Apple, when he got Apple stuff, one last thing. And that's one of the reasons we do this podcast is to, to let people know you're not alone. Your suffering is, is unto yourself, <laughs> but there's other people that are going through the same thing. And if we just get the word out and it helps one person. Well, yeah, I, worth it. I don't care if that one person, if we get one download on this podcast, if that person gives listens a shit. and brings that into themselves and, and we, we save them and we don't lose them to suicide. Th- thank you, Artie I, Bell, I've for got, changing my vocabulary on yeah. that, but we don't lose them to suicide. I'm a happy man. I, I am too. I've got it a couple of times where people said, you know, I, I listened to that episode. Thank you. Yeah. That's all I want is a thank yeah. you. You know, if, if it helped you, it helped you. I, I've had I've had an interesting experience. So 2002, I was a consultant for the, the Obesity Consult Center Tufts Medical under Mike Tanoff. I used to look at these people that were six, 400, whatever, and go, what's their problem? So they had patient zero to patient 200. They were the number two hospital in the country back then doing bariatric surgery. But I'm like, why can't these people figure it out? Why can't they, you know, stop being, eating and all this other crap? I sat there and I listened to this support group meeting and all the stories, people were either physically or sexually, I'm like, everybody, I was like. Oh, it's it, an addiction which it, has a root cause. But it changed my perspective, right? Yeah. I got up there and spoke for like a half an hour, standing ovation. I walked off the stage. Mike goes, that was great. I go, I don't even know what the fuck I said. I don't know what the fuck I said. Because, <laughs> oh you, you, you know, it's like Wayne Dyer would say, inspiration, your ultimate calling. So what do I want to do? I want to inspire people. If my videos that are up inspire somebody to work out more. Like about a month, two months ago, I was pissed off working out. I was working out at this park in Norwood, Memorial Park, and I had a Berman Kearns, one of only two Berman Kearns labeled gym bag with gear in it the whole bit. First time I've ever done it, left my gear behind, somebody stole it. I was bullshit the whole day. Then I said to myself, maybe that'll inspire somebody to work out. Well, you are, certainly are leaving a legacy, yeah. you, and you're and you're making a difference too. That's uh, my goal was to make a difference. If if I can, I say this every day, and I was just listening to this with Wayne Dye giving the act of giving. Backgirl knows I'm famous for this. We'll be in a restaurant, and I'll see a kid that's 16, 17 in an affluent area busting his ass. I go, I'll be right back. I walk over to the kid. What's your name, Bobby? I go, I give him twenty bucks. He's like, what? I go, yeah, man. You're working hard. You could be playing friggin' video games at home. Where are you? You're working. And that's a work ethic. And that's what's missing in this country. I think we're going to get back there. But one thing I'm going to leave you with as far as your, your legacy. Um, about a legacy. I'm going to try. It, I'm going to keep trying. So right now he's just got a leg. We, we, we <laughs> yeah, all want to. Let me say, if I kick you with it, you ain't going to like it. <laughs> we all want to live forever. And if you read your Greek, oh, I'm going to. If you read your Greek mythology, Odysseus says the only way to live forever is to keep your name being said over and over after we leave this earth. As a matter of fact, when he goes down into Hades, everybody coming up to him that he remembers from when they were alive, they ask you, "Does anybody still mention my name up there?" And I think for a very, very long time, people are going to mention Burn with Kearns. They are going to mention Always Pick Last. They are going to mention There's Light uh, in the Tunnel. You know, if if it happens, great. And at the same token, that's phenomenal. That's where we, we want to go. And I'm like, you know, my eventual goal is I'm working with people right now on working with Kevin uh, Kevin Harrington in a, a potential infomercial, which I've wanted to do for a while, you know, and, and whatever comes along. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I want to live in peace. I want to train. I want to have fun. Spend time with, with BG, my kids and the whole bit. And just, you know, just keep giving back. Somebody once said to me, and I and I make sure anytime I was any any involved in anybody, and I made sure back home knew this too. I said, "I'm never retirement. I can't. What am I going to do? Fucking garden? No, that's when play you get golf, fat, lazy, and play uh, golf. I go and die. You know what? I, maybe we're in a hut in Costa Rica, and you, you're doing your thing, and I'm I'm like the local, you know, at seventy something years old, I'm, I'm the local gym teacher for the Costa Rica kids. I'm fine with that. <laughs> Jack Lane did it. Well, you know, <laughs> my my eventual goal is this: I want to be the next Jack Lane. Mark DeLaGrati, the Italian dragon from City Tong, and Joe Rogan all rolled into one. Well, you were definitely the first Kevin Kearns. Yeah, and, and remember, they broke one. them and all. They, they and shattered the it, and they spread it like ashes all over the world because they were like, don't make another one of him again. Just don't. Because, because being Jack LaLanne, he's Jack LaLanne. Being Mark DeLaGrati, the he, Italian dragon. Don't the, forget that. The Italian, Italian dragon. dragon. That's what we call him, the Italian dragon. <laughs> Delagrati Karate. Del- what the? <laughs> one, one, a be- Those of you who don't know that, he's just one of the biggest names in MMA, and I, I, I watch him, and I watch it, a lot of stuff that he does, and I think he's amazing at what he does. Oh, yeah, he's, he, Marcus, Marcus is a savant. 
Yeah. He's the he's, I think we talked about this. For years, I tried to figure out a Wing Chun dummy. Last oh. year, he showed me for 15 minutes, and I got it. Here's, he was in that movie, Here Comes the Boom, yes. just for those of you who well, don't know. He, he and I both trained Kevin James. He started training him first, and he passed it to me. We're coming to the end of this thing, and I, I asked This every, ting. This ting. This ting. This, this we're ting. coming to the end of this thing, and I really want to know, you've gone through all these different things in your life and experienced all this suffering. I really want to know what you've learned from it, what it's taught you. Hmm. I'm going to quote my right arm. Hold your vision, keep your passion, and maintain and invest in your perseverance no matter what the fuck anybody says or does. You keep going forward each day. You don't look at the top of the mountain. You put your head where your feet is, and you keep going forward. You don't quit. You take a knee when you need to. You get back up. You get a great team behind you, and you don't stop. You have to be sumbam relentless. Whatever you want to pursue, relentless, whether it's an education, whether it's a family, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a business, you need to be undeniably relentless. Just listening to you, you, one thing just keeps coming to my mind about you. You're definitely a don't take no for an answer guy. Well, don't take no for an answer in the sense of, you know, if if it's women, I understand no. But I mean, as far as business, this is something I learned from Zig Ziglar. No doesn't mean no forever. No means no right now. That's it. Except when it comes to women. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, sometimes that can be that can be skewed a little bit, you know? <laughs> well, and the other thing is, when you hear no, it gets out, it gets it out of the way to get to the yes. It's a sales technique. My famous saying- I've, That's when I've listened to a lot right. of Zig Ziglar. Yeah. My famous saying, when, when back, back road drives are nuts sometimes, I said, you know, the answer's always no unless you ask. I don't know if I'm going to get paid for that. Well, yes. did you ask? Did you ask? And she just gives me, she's like, stop it. I'm like, I, I, I can't help it. It's, it's, just, it's just, I found you. I found you right here, like Sebastian. I found you right here. Well, Kevin, I can't thank you enough for coming in today. Mike, this guy's he's infectious. He's another one of those infectious <laughs> he's guys. A ball of fire. Hey, that, you know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. The Irish infection. I have the Irish <laughs> infection, unfortunately, and Mike's from the waist down Irish infection. So Kevin, so uh, okay. Kevin had the Irish injection. You kidding? <laughs> uh, I'm not really Irish in that department. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming in today. This was fantastic. And I want to talk about all the stuff that we learned today. First thing I learned was hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Thank you very Ooh, much, Mike. That was a good one, Mike. Thank you very much, Mike Felice, for giving me that one. Mike Felice. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. <laughs> Take the challenge and rise above. There is light in the tunnel. Vulnerability is definitely a strength. And have an attitude of gratitude. But most importantly, here's what I learned from Kevin Kearns. Be relentless. Absolutely. And that's good. Max effort. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of Maximum Effort with Kevin Kearns. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Suffering Podcast.